When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. At Bunnings Trade, we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. It's Justin Marshall and Ricardo Ball with the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run on SCNZ. Yes, good afternoon. Just gone one o'clock here on SCNZ. This is a Rugby Run with Ricardo Paul and Justin Marshall. How are you doing, Marshy? Good afternoon to you, Ricardo. Good afternoon to everybody out there on yet another Sunday where there's been more drama over the weekend, mate. It just is never ending at the moment. <laughs> mate, it, it, it doesn't end, does it? It doesn't end. And, I'm, you know, I, I think... To be fair to Artie Savia, he's not the sort of bloke that generally will look for an excuse. He generally owns stuff, but I thought he had a very good point about uh, the refereeing decision uh, at the end of that game because, I mean, he was the man that looked like he was had the foul play on. It looked very much like Scott Barrett was playing him in the air, didn't it? That should have been a, a penalty, and maybe the, uh, uh, the Hurricanes would have revisited that decision not to take the three there. Yeah, well, first of all, wasn't it a dramatic finish and, and a quality game, really? Two teams that, right from the opening whistle, went at each other physically. Uh, they went at each other skill-wise. Um, it sort of ebbed and flowed and, and really was an entertaining game. And then, obviously, we had an incredibly dramatic finish. You know, obviously, I guess the first thing to chat about is the decision. Uh, uh, Ian Smith, who was our sideline commentator last night, I had a chat to him in the car on the way back to the hotel and uh, he said it was right on the tip of my tongue to ask Artie one more question, but unfortunately we were getting the wrap-up to go to the next game <laughs> and that one question was, you know, whose decision was it to uh, not take the points and to take the line out? So I don't know if that's been, been become aware of as at this point. I haven't seen any media where that's been uh, clarified, but it was a big decision, wasn't it? And uh, obviously the game... Um, then went into that final line-out and there was controversy, no doubt about it. Uh, my two cents worth in the situation is for people out there listening and if they want to have a look at it again, uh, I could hear the conversation between the referee and the TMO, Chris Hart, and the conversation that they had was Chris Hart said to Brendan Pickerel, uh, there's a fair contest in the air, there, there is, there's no penalty, um, you don't need you don't need to have any referral. Okay. Um, and he said that two or three times. But what I would say to the listeners out there, or people want to have a relook at it, and probably the referees and Chris Hart are going to have to re-look at the entire situation. When I slowed it down, and if you do that yourself at home and have the ability to do that, we've seen a genuine contest in the air. Scott Barrett's gone up and contested the ball with Artie Savier. He almost got it. Um, and at that point, they became intertwined with each other in the contest for the ball. So I don't believe he 
tackled Adi Savia in the air. I thought he was just legitimately going for the ball. However, what transpired after that was Adi Savia went straight to ground, landed on the ground, and presented the ball towards his team, which constitutes a ruck and not a collapse more. There was never ever a more because Adi Savia went straight to ground. And it's quite clear when you slow it down, you can see the ball on the ground on the Hurricanes side and Adi Savia presenting it in a ruck, at which point the Crusaders players have to roll away, make the ball available to play, and they didn't. They all smothered the ball. That constitutes a penalty. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, there was conversations had left, right and centre about this on social media, as I'm sure you were aware. Uh, Jamie mm. Wall is a, is a great rugby writer, but he is a definitely a dyed-in-the-wool uh, Wellington man, and he was mm. cursing Sky for not having a replay of that line-out at the end. He's like, where's the replay? Where's the replay? Yeah. Um, which I totally get. But, I mean, yeah, we take it back from there. I mean, because this was a conversation I had with him was – that's not the percentage play. You know, there's a Crusaders team that under uh, Jason Ryan have conceded, what is it, one try from a line-out drive in the last four years that he's been there? Um, mm. So that's not a percentage play if you're trying to win a game. No, I guess probably the percentage that they were banking on was the Crusaders obviously wouldn't want to be giving away a penalty. So if they were able to secure the ball and not formulate a good enough more to score a try against them, then phase and try and either win another penalty or score in, in another fashion. So I, I understand the logic of it. Uh, I think I mentioned in, well, no, I certainly mentioned in commentary, I said the one thing that you can be assured of with the Crusaders is defensively they are the best side going around and they are ambitious and they will test you in areas that you're not expecting and probably in parts of the game when you're not expecting them to test you takes balls to go up and compete when the game's on the line like Scott Barrett did and to pick the right area because if he doesn't pick the wrong area and that throw goes over the top of Scott Barrett and goes to a different player, not Adi Savia, then they are incredibly vulnerable to being pushed over in a driving mall because they've got three players that have competed that are now out of the equation. So that was probably the, the biggest gamble of the lot was the Hurricanes had to believe that they could win the, the, the contest against the team that was definitely going to compete. If they didn't compete there, they'd compete with a physical tackle or, a, or an aggressive play at the breakdown. Think of the Highlanders game the week before when the Highlanders had the game in the balance. They had the line out. The Crusaders went up, competed. Their ball was compromised. Bang! Ethan Blackadders threw the line out. Smashes Fakatava, gets back to his feet wins a turnover. That's the that's the, the dice that the Hurricanes rolled. Um, you've got to you've got to expect that sort of response from the Crusaders and they obviously believed that they had enough to combat that and that they ultimately were proven wrong, although there's a controversial decision involved. Yeah, there is a controversial decision involved. And I know uh, we've got a man on the line who is going to enjoy talking about that with us here, Justin, on the uh, Bunnings Trade rugby run at Bunnings Trade, helping businesses our trade. Thomas Waldrum joins us uh, for a, a, a an amber and black or a golden black take on this. G'day, Thomas. How you doing? Yeah, good, mate. How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you, mate. Good. Uh, we were just talking, obviously, about that line out at the end. Um, I guess there is a difference between contesting uh, a line-out and taking someone in the air. It kind of felt like a little bit of both. Uh, what was your take on that, and what did you make of Adi Savia's comments post-match? 
Um, yeah, I think he was entitled to because if you actually watch the replay, he's actually tackled in the air and sort of falling down, so he didn't even get a chance sort of to catch it and get it set up. So I, I, I see it as well, but then at the end of the day, it's the ref's cause, and then you just have to sort of pack your bags and get on with it. But it's um, yeah, it's probably a hard one to take because they probably back, especially going for the corner. I was at the game, and you can see from the sideline that they uh, got told instead of going for uh, golden point to go for the corner and um, put some pressure on. So um, Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, where did that call come from? Was that from one of the trainers? Yeah, it must have been, yeah. So I think Artie was over there because he was sort of battling for the last sort of 10, 15 minutes and uh, he was on the far side talking to a trainer and uh, must have come over and then he pointed for the corner. So it must have been radioed down from somewhere to um, have a crack and go for it. Hey, Thomas, thanks for joining us, mate. Really appreciate it. It's Marshy here. Um, look, what I want to ask you is, look, you know, you've been in big games before um, and been in these, you know, nail-biting situations where it's a roll of the dice, it's a big decision you have to make. Now, I, I question whether or not that information should be coming from the sideline. Like, you know, players play on instinct, don't they? You know if you've got you've got, got the feeling that you can, you know, go to the touch and you're feeling confident about your line out in your mall or conversely, you're not feeling that great. You've got a new hooker on the field, whatever it might be. You might, you might think point. Do you think it should be ultimately the players that make that decision? Because it didn't appear that that was what they were able to do. Yeah, I just don't think. Yeah, because I think Ruben Love had the ball, didn't he? So yeah. you know, I think he might have been having a shot or something. But yeah, and that's and that's the thing. You, you feel the way the game goes, and uh, yeah, it's definitely the way, um, especially up front there as well. And you know, if you've got the driving line out. Um, over them, or even if you don't get the driving line out, or if you're picking go superior, if, if you've got sort of both of those and you think you're on top, they'll go for the corner. But you're probably watching last night. I think the Hurricanes will sort of keep battling uh, into the Crusaders, but they just the Crusaders' defence was just going them backwards and they're sort of going back. They didn't really go anywhere. So, yeah, I don't really know. Uh, yeah, me personally, uh, you sort of will take the points and then, um, and then see if you can put pressure back on them and uh, force an error out of them as well. So, yeah, it's a tough one, but it's uh, one you have to live with at the end of the day, really. What did you make of the the game in general? Like, from my viewpoint, it was bloody physical. <laughs> they, they didn't oh. miss each other on many occasions. And, um, you know, there was obviously some incredible breakouts. Like, like, I don't know whether you noticed, mate, sitting in the stand, but I think at about the 25-minute mark... It was, but both both teams had their hands on their hips and they're absolutely stuffed. Yeah, I think that's probably why you saw so many replacements come on early. And normally, when you're reserved, you sort of think, "Oh, okay, I'll get 20 minutes," and then you'll be after the game jogging up and down on, on TV. Everyone's asking, "What what are you doing?" Uh, topping up fitness, but yeah, no, I think everyone was quite on early, um, and because I think it was that physical, and I think you wanted to get fresh legs into the game to keep the ball moving. And um, yeah, I thought the Crusaders. That's the thing, the Crusaders break out and turn over and they just make the right decisions. They're just clinical and um, and sometimes the Hurricanes sort of probably probably pushes a bit too much but the, the fair play list Hurricanes sort of went after them and I think most teams have sort of worked the Crusaders out now. You've got to be much up physical and you've got to front up and take it to them and I think most teams are doing it uh, to them now but they always just sort of seem to do the basics like the draw and pass and into the corner. I know they would have probably would have won on that try if it didn't come back for a knock on but that was just simple hands into the corner building phases, mm. and it's it's just pressure. They just build, build pressure and it sees who uh, makes a mistake first. 
Matt, your, your areas of ex- expertise um, is the loose forwards. And, look, I thought that was a hell of a battle out there last night. Um, you know, you get the unnoticeable guys like Tom Christie. Man, that guy, I know they're calling him a tackling machine, but he is a tackling machine. <laughs> um, and, obviously, the, the, the contest between Artie and... I guess the re-emergence of Cullen Grace to a degree. Um, then obviously throw Ethan Blackadder into the mix. I think he, he carried 15 times and he made, I think, 14 tackles. His work rate was immense. What? Where do you think we're at in terms of that, the, the number eight position and, and moving forward? Because obviously got Sawakula playing really well as well. But do you think Cullen Grace has got the goods and, and is Artie better at number eight? Well, then that's the thing. It's always sort of who, what the All Blacks way they want to play and stuff like that. But no, I think that they, they, they saw something in Cullen, I think, uh, late last year. So they took him over to Australia, didn't they? So they sort yeah. of know that he's got something about him. But and that's, I think, like, even the balance uh, that the Crusaders had last night was probably a little bit better than the uh, Hurricanes, probably to say, just because you probably have Artie and Duplessis sort of are very similar players. I feel, and they like trying to get over the turnover ball and stuff. But I would, me personally, I would have probably had um, Devin Flanders out there a little bit earlier, or even starting, just because he's just a presence out there and he he demands the ball and gets over the game line. But yeah, watching the Crusaders, at Tom Christie, he was into everything. He was, he would have tackled himself to a standstill after the game, and definitely deserves a couple of cold beers after that. But it was just, yeah, he just he just ripped into everything, and that's. And that's what you want. And in the end of the day, if you've got the balance right and the loose force complement each other, that's and that's what probably uh, the coaches are after as well. Thomas, from a uh, Kane's point of view, where are you at with what they're doing in the ten jersey? Um, because you know, Ruben Love started uh, yesterday on the bench. For me, he looks like their best op- uh, option at ten. Uh, but they they started Jackson Gard and Bishop, and you know, d- no disrespect to Jackson, he's a solid player, but he feels like a backup ten at not a starting ten at Super Rugby level. Um, where are you on what they're doing uh, with with their tens and direction around the park? Um, well, that's probably just a personal thing. I think it's just. Uh Jackson might uh, have the, the patterns and what they're trying to do and trying to free up people. And I think maybe Ruben's just learning the systems maybe and what what the coaches actually want from him and stuff. But, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see probably Ruben have a bit more um, game time at 10. Um, just Because that's the thing, he's a young, exciting guy. And I always find as a, as a young up-and-coming player, you want to try to get as much game time as possible. And when you get that game time, your confidence comes and, and you can build from there. And that's the thing. And Jackson's been here for a long time and, uh, probably, and he, I know he gets a lot of respect from the boys and coaches and stuff and leads the team around well. But, yeah, it's a tough one. We're uh, breeding some new life into the back line with, with the young guy. could be a possibility as well. And fingers crossed they might do that on Tuesday against uh, Pacifica. Yeah, well, they've got that game, of course, against Minor Pacifica. And we do have tickets for that. So if you want to go to that game, you can text us on uh, the Temper Bedpost text machine, double eight double three your name and your email address, and I'll get you a double pass. Uh, Thomas, just before we let you go, mate, I mean, I, I looked at this game on paper, you know, with my punting hat on, and I went, uh, you know, this Crusaders team looks a lot better on paper than the than the Crusade, uh, than the Hurricanes team does. I thought they looked a lot stronger across the park, uh, but that's not how it played out, and obviously that happens. But do you think that's because the Canes were playing above themselves, or do you think the the, the Crusaders prob- uh, aren't playing to their potential at the moment? Um, I, I think it's a bit of both. I think and that's the thing where teams know 
when it comes up against Crusaders, you you, you got to be on on your middle. You got to be busy and ready to go from from the uh, first whistle. And if you don't, and that's the thing, they can punish you from anywhere. And that's what I was going back to. They just do the basics so well. And and it's probably nice to see the Hurricanes actually get in their face, taking pressure on them, and uh, and especially moving them around as well. Because uh, sometimes when you're defending, that's when you get a bit tired and you make those mistakes. So you want to be trying to get them to defend as much as possible. But I, I thought it was a it was a great game for rugby, and it was nice to play at 4:30 in front of a nice crowd and uh, mm. starting the sunshine. Uh, having the early game is always a sort of benefit as well, because then uh, you're not waiting around the whole day, and you can get yourself ready for an early kickoff, which probably doesn't happen as much as it should these days. No, mate, nothing, nothing quite like having a cold one in the sun uh, at the stadium and watching a watching your team run around, is there? No, definitely not. Especially a nice cold Heineken. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Getting the sponsor credit in, Thomas. Nice. Nice. Good work, mate. I, I'm sure there'll be a couple of boxes turn up at your door on Monday morning. <laughs> and our doors. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Hey, Thomas, thanks for giving us some time, mate. I uh, really appreciate you, uh, you, you you taking the time out to have a chat and uh, enjoy what you had to say. So go well, mate. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, eh? Thank you, guys, and I hope we catch up soon. Yeah, we'll do. This is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. At Bunnings Trade, we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. If you've got something you want to say about that Hurricanes-Crusaders match, you've got a question for Justin, who, of course, was on the comms for that game. Give us a call, 0800 150 or you can hit us on the Temper Bed Post text machine, double eight double three. We'll be back with those next. Yeah, it's one twenty-one here on SENZ. This is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run at Bunnings Trade. We're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. And uh, Justin, we have had a message come through asking, uh, what did you make of uh, the amount of rolling tries coming from rolling malls we've seen so far this season? Yeah, I was reasonably outspoken about that, to be fair to say, <laughs> uh, on Saturday, um, chatting through the sort of theory for me of why the law or for whatever reason teams haven't been able to combat the driving more and it seems to be that most teams now are that confident that they can either score from the driving more or they can put enough pressure and suck enough players in that eventually they will score from setting up a rolling more that they're turning down very kickable opportunities for goals because that's how sure they are of the fact that they can if they get set, that they can mount um, really full-on pressure or create another penalty close to the line. So, look, the the one sort of anomaly in the mix, um, interesting enough, was last night where the the Crusaders had two to three to four possible digs at the Hurricanes in that type of situation. And and, uh, Richie Moonga, to be perfectly honest, was outstanding at getting the ball within the five. But the Hurricanes combated every single driving mall. <laughs> and the, so this sense of inevitability that I had sort of been dreading about this rolling mall because it's been rife in Super Rugby Pacific so far, not only in New Zealand and Australia as well when teams get into that zone, didn't eventuate last night. So the Hurricanes came up um, with a really good way to combat the, the driving mall. But in general, to answer the question, um, I don't know why teams are not, uh, sacking more. I don't know why they can't get the ball carrier on the ground and then, or whether that's the fact that they don't want to defend that zone with players picking and driving uh, and they prefer to defend the mall or whether or not the law doesn't enable them to get to the jumper to sack the mall. But 
Yeah, it, it is a bit of a concern that that is so um, so so hard to stop, and it is very much a part of our game because it's not entirely pretty to watch. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's worth a conversation mm. um, when we review the season to have a look at why teams are finding it so much easier this year to score in that particular part of the game. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, you're probably fair talking about that on Saturday morning after what we'd seen on Friday night, right? Um, yeah, well, look, you don't... That's how the Highlanders I, beat Moana Pacifica. Exactly. I, yeah, and that's how um, Moana Pacifica are getting beaten quite often. Yeah. Um, because, you know, they're not they're not very good at defending that particular skill set. So I think that's the way, the way I remember the Crusaders game where they were incredibly um, resilient their first hit out of the, of, of the year. But the Crusaders just, uh, I think Cody Taylor came on and possibly got two tries. He that did, just yeah. Put them away. Got um, them the know, bonus the, point right on right on 80 minutes, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yeah, good call, Ricardo. So, no, it's, it's very, very much something that, um, that that teams are using a lot. And, yeah, the you know, I think we had four tries by the Highlanders hookers uh, on, on the weekend, too, to uh, Mafalio. And uh, two to Reese Marshall when he came on. So, you know, four tries out of you know out of that game, and they're all from rolling moors. I think on on Saturday that we had one irate Highlanders <laughs> um, fan ring up saying, "Mate, I paid like, money. I had my cold beer, and I didn't sit in a bloody stand to watch ro- rolling moors." He did say, <laughs> "I wasn't back when I played," which I which I chuckled at. I, I kind of agree with him. Like I. I I don't think we all want to. We, we want to see that be a contest, and we yep. want to see you know teams have the ability to go to the driving more, but we don't want to see eighty minutes worth of it. No, I mean if you're going to look at a, a tweak to the law, do you think you know how they get the uh, if it stops once you get the warning, and then you can get mm. to go again if it stops twice and you have to use the ball? Maybe maybe we just make it at the once. Once it stops, you got to use it, and then that maybe um, tames some of the effectiveness of it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that's something that um, we should really look at, and it's been sort of mooted um, mooted about in the past. In the, in the past, and we probably haven't gone back there. But I think it's a really good point. I think the way they could police that is to allow the team obviously to get set first, so they don't they don't have to get it moving straight away because that can prove a little bit difficult. You know, that initial getting set takes a little bit of time. Get the hooker in position. But once you get it then moving, that's got to keep moving. Yeah. Rather than it stops and then they get another go. I think that would make defence a lot easier and it would also make you have to be more proficient at making sure you've got good quality ball, got your blockers in, got your hooker in place, and then you get it going. And you know that if it stops and you don't get good momentum, then you're going to have to free it. I quite like that idea and I think it's a good way to perhaps get a better balance in that area. Yeah, and, you know, more ball into the backs, and, you know, that's better for the spectators, right? That's what we want to see. We want to see that. Uh, This is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Justin Marshall, Ricardo Ball with you at Bunnings Trade. Helping business is our trade. When we come back, we're going to talk Super Rugby Pacific from an Australian point of view with Morgan Turunui. Yeah, this is uh, the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run at 29 away from two. We cross over uh, to Australia now to get uh, the take of the other side of the Tasman, the other side of this competition, uh, Super Rugby Pacific, with uh, former Wallaby Morgan Turunui. G'day, Morgan. How are you doing? 
Good, thanks. Very, very happy to be talking to you guys. Yeah, mate. Good to good to chat. Good to chat. Honestly, uh, you would think over this side of the uh, over this side of the ditch. I don't know what it's like over there, but over there, uh, you'd almost think that there were no Aussie teams in this competition because all we seem to talk about is the New Zealand side. I don't know how much different it is uh, in in the media and the broadcast over there. Well, it's a bit different over here because we've got Andrew Merton sitting next to me every weekend, so that's all we seem to talk about Kiwi teams as well. So. He won't shut up about how good you guys are going, and unfortunately, he's probably right. Yeah, mate, are you deaf in that ear now? <laughs> yeah, well, I, uh, what I usually do is I throw you put the earpiece in that side, and you just nod at Mertz when he starts talking, and then you only have to nod every 10 minutes when he gets a bit of a run-up. You just let him go. <laughs> mate, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Hey, Morgs, we should talk about uh, those Aussie teams, though, because uh, there's two in particular that are absolutely flying. That's the Brumbies and the Reds. I mean, from what you've seen, I mean, you're watching these these teams firsthand week in, week out. Where do you think they're at compared to their New Zealand um, uh, opponents? Yeah, I think the Reds, for mine, are, are most excited to see them measure up against the New Zealand teams. I think the Brumbies, they've sort of hit a, a bit of a flat spot the last couple of weeks. They've got, a, obviously, a really good model that they play, don't they? They, they play territory. They're so efficient at converting 22-metre entries into points. Now, if that can stand up to the pressure that New Zealand teams do pose, I'm really interested in that. But the Reds, I think, especially if they're a full-strength team, they've had some some uh, early COVID and injury issues in the in the early rounds of the season. If they can have a full-strength team, I'm actually really excited to see how they cope with it. A guy like Kenny Tupo, James O'Connor at 10, Tate McDermott, who continues to improve very much the future, probably, of the Australian number nine jersey, and Jordan Pattaya. So some really quality players that, that probably need to be tested against New Zealand teams. So that, as you mentioned, you know, the Reds and Brumbies, that's the band that we're excited about. The Waratahs will be in the middle there somewhere, whether they can cope with that, that intensity we talk about playing you guys. And then I think the Force and the Rebels might struggle a bit. Hey, Morgs, Marshy, mate, really appreciate you joining us. Um, always great to have your insight. I wanted to tap into that, what you were just talking about, um, in, in terms of particularly the Reds and the Brumbies. It seems to me that they've they've just got a lot more consistent. You know, they're, it, they, they did have the ability, some of the Australian teams, to fluctuate, like have a good performance and then be slightly off, but... The Reds and the Brumbies, and even when they've played each other so far this season, have been producing some pretty good quality rugby, do you think? Yeah, I do. And, Marcia, mate, I'm always happy to answer the call of my former Barbarians captain, mate. You know I do anything. Let me know anything I need. Uh, Looking forward to hopefully seeing you in Melbourne in a couple of weeks. But, yeah, I think consistency is probably a theme. Inconsistency is probably a theme for Australian rugby over the last decade, and you guys would know that better than anyone, you know say, a 2019 marquee performance in Perth, winning a match over there and then losing with the shutout the week after in Auckland. And that's, that's been very consistent in the way. They've been inconsistent for Australian teams. Brumbies probably are the ones that, you know, especially at the Super Rugby level, week in, week out, they give budgeted performance. You know what you're going to get from the Brumbies. The Reds are probably the ones that have been better at consistency in finding a way to win. Still the content of their rugby Need some work, but the you know some of the guys I mentioned, and even some of the the younger players coming through that Reds program, they're all homegrown talent, so they've done it really well. They played a lot of rugby together, and maybe it's something we've seen with you guys, and not so much copied, but seen that it works for you guys. Guys play lots of rugby together; it's got to help performance, and consistency comes on the back of that. So it's just an exciting couple of weeks coming up where we where we do get to measure it against some of the quality over your side. I don't know whether you have it in Australia, but we certainly have it here in New Zealand. Like, every man's dog has a tipping comp. Um, 
and I have to say that I'm sort of usually middle of the road, but uh, there wouldn't have been many people tipping the Rebels to beat the force in Perth, I don't think. Now, you're a former coach of the Rebels, have, and they were absolutely crap at the start of the year, but they've had a resurgence, haven't they? Was that a result you were expecting? Oh, that was, well, I tipped the force, put it that way, so it shows how good a judge I am. <laughs> um, I thought the same as you. I thought, look, the force has shown a bit more. And to be fair, let's look at, talk about the force quickly. Like, it, it's as bad a 40 minutes as you could start a game, I reckon. They lost the penalty count 10 to 2. And it was probably yeah. 10 of the dumbest penalties I've ever seen. Either poor scrum in- engagement or absolutely silly penalties at the ruck. Their scrum was terrible. Their line-out was no good either. So you just can't win games like that. And they probably still should have won. I mean, taking the points when all you need to try to win with seven minutes to go is a strange one, and it cost them. But in saying that, the Rebels, I think I said in coverage, they just willed a victory into existence. Like, they didn't do a huge amount except hold on and hold on and stay in the game. And so I suppose if you're a coach, you can be proud of the effort. But, yeah, they, they've got a lot of work to do in terms of their rugby content. I, I do think they're a little bit off the pace, and I suppose they're all looking a bit at the top eight, top eight of the 12 to make the finals. I would have thought the Rebels, the force and probably the two new teams are the ones you'd see down there. I think the Highlanders will probably go on a run now. I, I've seen how close they've been. You know, the four bonus mm. points probably says a lot about that. You guys know more about that than me, but I, I think they'll knock off a couple of Aussie teams, that's for sure. What have you made of the Drua? Well, obviously, they're, um, they're always going to find it tough. But here in New Zealand, we've been impressed with how competitive they've been, and obviously, you know, they've, they've got a victory as well, but you know, you'd have to sort of say that they've delivered more than perhaps potentially thought they were going to be capable of. Yeah, I'm a bit worried because we keep agreeing, mate. Oh, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I think we were just we were just so happy to have them in the competition, possibly a little bit like Moana Pacifica. Happy to have them in the competition. You know, both sides of of the ditch, you guys and us have benefited so much from Fijian rugby talent through the years. It was great yeah. for the drill to have their own identity. And we thought, yeah, they're going to be everyone's second team. Then they've had a win and they've you know, stretched teams. They should have beaten the force. They lost to a penalty goal at the end. So I think they've definitely performed better than we'd expected. And now it's it's almost a little bit disrespectful to say either everyone's second, you know, second favourite team and it's just great to be there. They're, they're a genuine danger every time they play. And, and, and the thing about it, you can be 20 points up and you're still not safe because they've just got this ability to just turn it on in, in short patches. They get their offload game going as we've seen right through the years from Fiji and players. You've got 15 guys playing with that seven skill and intent to play. So I'll tell you what, coming up against some Kiwi teams as well will be even more exciting. Got this, you mentioned it, uh, Super Round coming up in a couple of weeks. So one one more round of Super Rugby Pacific and then we, we, we amalgamate into the Trans-Tasman comp. Uh, look, if I, was, if I was being perfectly honest and, and blunt, mate, particularly since this isn't going out on Australian radio, <laughs> well, hopefully it's not. <laughs> but hey, careful, you're going to some... be over in a couple of weeks. Oh, mate, don't worry. Somehow they'll find a soundbite. And uh, next minute... <laughs> I'm going to cut this up, yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, do, look, it, I, I don't think an Australian team can win this competition unless they're playing at home. So that's just me personally. So I think that their aim, particularly the Reds and the Brumbies, which we've talked about, they really need to be targeting finishing top of the ladder. So that those... First, because the first two rounds, as people out there don't know, listening, the first, the, there's a super round in Melbourne, and then all the New Zealand teams the second week are again in, in, in Australia playing. So those, I think, they, they are really pivotal games for the Australian teams to try and 
secure themselves at the top of the, the log, do you think? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that was why it's probably it's probably important and has been important for the Brumbies and Reds to maximise the points on this side of the, of, mm. you know, it's not a conference system, but on this side of the draw. And that gives them a bit of a buffer to make sure they're at the top end of the top eight. They're going to make the eight, both those teams. Um, and you'd probably think the Waratahs will sneak in as well. But yeah, I think they've got to finish top two and then sort of hope for the best as they go through. That, that could just mean just knocking off a couple of Kiwi sides because obviously there's a few extra games where you guys play each other a, a few more times. So it, it can even that out. And I'll tell you what I'm interested in, truthfully, is the referee how the two sides of refereeing come together in games because mm. I've noticed a real difference in the way the games are judged. I watched one of the, one of the probably the, one of the best 40 minutes of rugby I enjoyed was last Sunday watching the Chiefs and the Hurricanes in the second half and the referee just let the teams play. And I, yep. I reckon I counted 25 ruck infringements that an Australian referee would have called. So mm. I think it's gonna, that's going to be really... And I, I, what I loved was he just said, you know, boys... Both teams want to play rugby. I'm just going to let you play. May the best team win. And I loved it as a spectacle. But it's going to be really interesting, I think, when those two refereeing cohorts come together and seeing how they referee high tackle, which is always, you know, um, yeah. a big contentious point. No matter what happens, it does a 20-minute red card decide a game, a big game against the Crusaders and the Reds or something like that. Or also how the ruck's going to be uh, officiated. And I think both sides will have to adjust and maybe there's a little bit of room in that for one side of it to be to be advantaged and look I think the Reds will go well if they're if they're up there the Brumbies have a game that can win any game yes the other three might be a bit a different case yeah that's a really valid point and I think you're absolutely right to see how they come together and how the players adapt as well hey uh, just on a side note um, I happen to as I always do tune into Stan's coverage and uh, notice you in the studio with your old mate Lottie Takiri mate he's a uh, He's looking nice and solid, but was looking in good form. I'll tell you what, he's well-dressed, isn't he? It's the biggest double-breasted suit I've ever seen in my life. I thought it was, <laughs> I was watching The Rock on Ballers or something. He's definitely best-dressed. It was great. It was great to, it was, you know, it's great to come in. Half the time, it's more fun off there when you're just mucking around and laughing at each other and telling old stories to people that can't believe the things that you did when you're on tour. And being Takiri and Turinui, we were originally roomed together, and it worked quite well because I could get him to turn up on time so I was pretty much his roomie the whole time so it was great great to see the big LT there and, he, and the funny thing about him is you, you think he just got such a great footy brain sometimes yep. it, it's a little bit lost you know in, in, in him getting it out but it's he's got some great insight on the game and I tell you what he can judge a young player coming through don't forget a huge career at State of Origin won premierships at different clubs in rugby league and of course the 67 Test Wallaby great finisher so it was great to have him on and just have a different point of view as I said I think we're all sick of Mertz hogging all the all the time on air so it was great to get Lottie on. I tell you I you probably you probably won't remember this but in that final we played against you guys I was all full of bravado and got the ball early in the match and I, I lined up Lottie and thought I'm going to run right over the top of you Honestly, mate, no one's hit me so freaking hard ever before in my life. Jeez, and he was pretty crammed ass. then. You can, imagine, you can imagine now you see him in the hallway, you won't be past him. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> hey, um, mate, we really appreciate appreciate your insight as always. Um, it'd be great to catch up with you in a couple of weeks. And as your former Barbarians captain, I can quite confidently say in the time I spent with the Barbarians, I never saw another centre spend more time in the bar than you. So congratulations on that. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, that's an illustrious group of centres you spent time in a bar with, that's for sure. I'll take that, I'll take that as a compliment, was it? And, you, mate, you got me to the game. I remember Friday morning, we, you got us all together. You said, boys, 
Uh, we're playing the All Blacks tomorrow. We probably should get off the piss. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a great pre-match speech from an awe-inspiring captain. Oh, that is outstanding. Normally you have beers after the game. It sounds like you guys were having them before the game, were you? No comment. Well, he was smart. I'll tell you what, he was smart. Oh, uh, yeah, there was a few no comments. He was smart. He said, right, boys, the last sort of 48 hours, Let's go to gin and waters because we can hydrate at the same time. <laughs> it tastes terrible, but it got us there. Anyway, <laughs> a lot of cramping in that. It's the first time I've seen players cramp in the first half of a rugby game. <laughs> oh, mate, Morgan, you obviously haven't uh, haven't seen the ads over here for, uh, for for Justin Marshall Nutrition Services, um, but that, that's that's flying as well down in Queenstown, along with everything else, mate. Hey, just before oh, we do yeah. let you Marcy, go, Marcy, you'll sell anything, won't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I just want. Wanted to get your your take on um, probably not the uh, the team that's garnered the most uh, attention from the side of the ditch over over your way, but Moana Pacifica um, from a Cena's point of view, that um, Danny Tuala Levi Amua um, Cena combination. What do you make of that? Yeah, I thought it was pretty impressive, and and obviously with Sakopi Kepu and Christian Lealofana involved, we've actually we've actually enjoyed watching Moana Pacifica. Obviously, they've had the hardest run through as it is playing multiple games. They've got another game in a couple of day, days against the Hurricanes, is that right? So yeah, geez, we've made it hard for them. We haven't been that nice in bringing them into the comp. But yeah, I, I love that setup there. I, I really enjoy the way that they can be physical, but also have that good short passing game. I think sometimes we have an either-or centre. And we're seeing with Hunter Paisami, the same sort of guy, a guy developing his short passing game, even the little kicking game. And I think that's what, especially Amur, he can finish tries, he can create tries. He's nice and physical. Just another... Another centre you guys roll off the conveyor belt. Yeah, just another one, mate. Just another one. Plenty of them. Hey, Morgan, thanks very much for coming on. I look forward to talking to you again and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend, eh? Absolute pleasure, guys. Can't wait to, to reconnect with you guys with the rugby coming up when we finally get to play each other again. As much as we, we, we like the banter, we've missed you. Oh. Oh, oh cheers, thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. Thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Go well, Morgan. See you, guys. See you, mate. Uh, former Wallaby Morgan Thurinui there. And, of course, uh, former teammate of, of Justin Marshall's, uh, part of the coverage out of Australia of Super Rugby Pacific. This is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run with Ricardo Ball and Justin Marshall. Uh, you can, uh, at Bunnings Trade, we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. Double eight, double three is our temper bed post text machine. If you want to score a ticket for that Moana Pacific Hurricanes match at the Cake Tin on Tuesday at 7 o'clock, uh, text us on double eight double three your name and your email address, and I have a few double passes. I'll email those out uh, after the show, and we will talk more on that coming up as well right here on the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. You can call us 0800 150 811. Baz and Izzy for breakfast. Yeah, this is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Ten away from two at Bunnings Trade. We're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. Joe from Foxton, there is a double pass to the Hurricanes. Moana Pacifica coming your way. Thanks very much for your text. If you want one of those, double eight double three is the temper bedpost text machine. Uh, just your name and your email address, and I'll hook you up with a double pass. And Justin, of course, uh, probably be a different looking Hurricanes team uh, to what we saw against the Crusaders. But in terms of that game, I mean, who were the standout before? from each side for you? Well, I think, first of all, I think it's probably worth me eating a bit of humble pie, which won't be the first time that I've done that and won't be the f- first time in the future that that won't happen again. So uh, pretty much uh, my 
main area of concern for the Hurricanes leading into the, the game, and I voiced that on Sky in our pre-game build-up, was just didn't think they had their balance right. I didn't believe that Geordie Barrett was being utilised the way that he should be utilised, and that against a team like the Crusaders, who are a team that kicks the ball the most in the comp, and, and statistically that's a fact, but they kick it the most accurately out of anyone in the, in the comp, so they often win the ball back when they do kick it, or they put the opposition opposition under real pressure with their kicking game. So they're not actually aimlessly kicking the ball away, which I can't confidently say the Highlanders are doing at the moment, but that's a different conversation. Um, so I thought, you know, putting uh, you know, young Morby in there, um, not having played much there, if at all, and uh, switching and keeping Geordie at 12 probably wasn't the brightest uh, decision that Jason Holland's ever uh, made, but he was right. Man, like both those guys were complete standouts. And I thought Morby covered the ground that he needed to cover. He dealt with the Crusaders' kicking game. Uh, they were very clever in the way that they balanced both players. They often dropped Geordie back. And I thought, well, that's interesting because that leaves you vulnerable defensively. But they were able to make sure that they filled the spot when he did drop back. Um, I thought probably one of the best games I've seen Geordie Barrett play uh, he was simply outstanding, uh, along with Artie Savia. Um, Julian Savia, I don't think I've seen him play a better game in a couple of years. He was quite outstanding. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a side that really played an extremely good game to, to not get the result. Um, so, you know, I certainly think that Jason Holland now has got some decisions that he has to make. He's, he's also got Balen Sullivan, who, who came back into the mix. You mentioned Ruben Love, which I thought was a really good point. Mm. Um, you know, they've, they've been using him at fullback, uh, but they have, they've, they've gone away from trusting him at 10. Uh, and obviously having TJ Perenara pull out uh, in the warm-up, that, that wasn't ideal for the Hurricanes either. And they lost um, Asafa Omoa. So they lost two players on the, on the morning or the day of the game, one of them real late. And Jamie Booth, mate, how good was he as well? So... Like individually, they had players who were really up for this game and stood out. And um, I think they've actually put pressure now on Jason Holland in, in positions where he was kind of scratching his head. They had statement games, but I just wonder, mate, how sore they're going to be, those bodies, <laughs> to try and front up against a physical side that Moana Pacifica are on Tuesday. Yeah, well, I mean, there's uh, options there. We've seen Aiden Morgan play in 10 for the Canes mm. this season against the a minor at, at Mount Smart. Uh, we saw, I think, Logan Henry as well, uh, the young uh, halfback from Petoni, um, who played yep. a game uh, a, a little earlier in the season when there was COVID in the Hurricanes camp. So they've got options. It'll be interesting to see who does get to play in this. Um, just uh, We've only got about a minute or so before we need to get to a break. But on that, I also mentioned uh, to Thomas Waldrum, are the, are the Crusaders where they should be at the moment, or good are they point. underperforming? Yeah, good point. And an answer to your question, no, they're not. They're not there yet. Uh, and again, they're on the receiving end of the tackle count. Mm. They, they had to make, I think, 40, 30 or 40 more tackles than the Hurricanes last night. Uh, and they've had to scramble to try and stay in the game, you know, like, they did the, like they've done all year. So they're having moments of genius. And equally, they're having moments where they could quite conclusively be losing games, but somehow they're not. Um, so, yeah, in answer to your question, no, I don't feel that they're anywhere near playing to their potential yet.
Cumulatively, given you know they made all those tackles in the Chiefs game in Christchurch, all those tackles mm. in the Highlanders game in Christchurch, all those tackles on uh, yesterday. Yep. Cumulatively, by the end of the season, could this catch up with them? Could it cost them come come the end? Yeah, well, they, they, the numbers that they are putting out there are quite extraordinary, and and the way that they look, this, this reeks of you know way back when we started to first be successful, the Crusaders, where we were winning games to had defence. And when I say we, I'm saying that because I was involved in that side. Mm. This current side are winning games with their defence. Not, not only their frontline defence, their scramble defence. Um, last night they were a bit off. They dropped off 20 tackles. It's more than they ever have. But usually they're operating over 90% for all the tackles they're making. So, yeah, lots to chat about. And we'll get to chat about that tomorrow night. Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. At Bunnings Trade, we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. And now, if you were in Christchurch uh, on Friday night and you felt a stiff, cool breeze, that will be the exhalation coming out of Dunedin of relief after getting their first W. It would have felt like <laughs> a, a southerly, I would imagine, uh, Justin. Yeah, it certainly would have. Um, and you certainly wouldn't have felt that until... Possibly the last uh, sort of ten minutes of, of the evening um, leading into that game, but uh, because they had to work hard, the Highlanders yeah. uh, they they really had only one way to be able to score. They'd obviously done their analysis and knew that Moana Pacifica were were weak um, at the, the driving mall, and you know they got four tries uh, through doing that effectively, but. You know, for large parts of that game, uh, they, they didn't look like they had the, the attacking potency of Moana Pacifica. So whilst it would have been a big sigh of relief and, and a really welcome win and hopefully the catalyst for better things to come, I don't think Tony Brown would have been sitting in those sheds absolutely elated with the way that they won that game or the, the way they won it. No, and not only that, but also the cost it came at as well. I mean, Shannon Frizzell going off injured in the second minute. Um, I think Manaki Selby Rickett going off with an injury as well uh, to have been two of their better players uh, this season and that's not what you want when, you know, as we talk with Morgan, with Australia, the Australian team's coming up, that'll be where Tony will be going, I can pick up some win here, I can can get us in the eight and you you lose two of your most influential forwards. Exactly. And forwards that were really starting to, you know, impress, particularly the game against the Crusaders. I think um, the fact that They've made the decision to start um, Maka Elitu has really helped. Mm. It's helped balance out that attack a bit better. And uh, they certainly, you know, look a lot better for having Andrew Maka as well, starting at hooker. He's been simply outstanding uh, in the last two games. So all of a sudden they've got some real presence um, and carry in that forward pack, which they really needed, to be perfectly honest. And then the combinations are looking a lot better. Uh, however, that's, that's just that potency and attack in the back line that's still not quite clicking at the moment. I think Gilbert's been pretty good in general, but, uh, you know, Connor garden Bishop, you know, he's very, very much earmarked as a player for the future. He probably hasn't fired the, the shots that he's capable of firing so far this season. I think he's been reasonably quiet by his standards. He's not finding many breaks, line breaks. He's not finding his way into the game that well. Um, possibly... I would wonder if Tony Brown might think about switching him back to the wing uh, because Gilbert's been playing pretty well at fullback. Yep. Um, and, and maybe get and maybe he'll get his way into the game a bit better because I think at fullback he's he's just looking a little, little uh, unsure um, and, and not decisive enough. Um, and I really think he's 
he's needing some punch in the like for Tuli Pyre and um, uh, Scott Gregory. Uh, Gregory, yeah. yeah, Gregory are going pretty well. But they look a hell of a lot more dangerous with um, Umanga Jensen in that midfield. So, yeah. yeah, maybe he's just got to start making a few tweaks to make them just more dangerous on attack. It looks like Umanga Jensen, we talked to him on Tuesday in uh, Super South with Goldie. Um, yeah. And uh, Thomas came on and said that he wasn't going to be ready for Moana, but he should be ready the week after. Um, and after looking at their mid, who was lining up in their midfield, I, if I had a slightly dicky shoulder, I'd be not quite ready this weekend either, just quietly. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, mate, you're not alone there. Many people wouldn't be, but yeah, that's right. I think uh, when you've been coming back from an injury like that, um, that's that's probably the not, not the type of game you want to front up for because you know that it is going to be physical. So, well, that's good news for them and good news for Tony Brown. Uh and like I said, it's it's by no means um, a criticism of the midfield at the moment because I think they're actually they've got pretty good synergy. They're playing quite well. They're not getting opened up defensively. Um, they're having their moments on attack. And um, Gregory, he's got a really good uh, offload in the tackle. Um, Fatuli Pyre runs hard, but you know when you when you throw uh, Thomas Umanga Jensen into the mix, uh, he's just he he creates attention. Yeah. And that creates space for others. And I think that's what they need. And, and obviously they need Frizzell and Mikaeli too and Makaleo and all those guys on the field at the same time. And then all of a sudden they're a different threat. Now, what about Mitch Hunt? Uh, I mean, he didn't have a great, uh, you know, he's had, he's had a mixed bag of a season, shall we say. Um, and the problem that Tony Brown has got, he doesn't really have any other option. At 10. I mean, he's got Marty Banks, but Marty Banks isn't the future, obviously. And you're not going to be able to get 80 minutes, I wouldn't imagine, at this level out of Marty either. Um, mm. And, you know, I thought it, it said something that this uh, in this game on Friday night that Villamoni Kuroi was, you know, the halves option off the bench and he didn't use him. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, is there another solution? It was interesting talking to... Uh, Jeff a while ago saying that he thought Thomas Umunga Jensen, Aaron Smith and Fakatava are their three best backs. So how can you get Fakatava and Smith on the field at the same time? Can you get them on the field at the same time? You know, I mean, we've seen guys like Piri Wipu and TJ Peronata play 10 at times. Mm. Is either of those guys, either of those halfbacks able to play 10 and, and, and maybe give Tony something else to think about? No, it's not what he's after. I think they're equally... Um offering something that they, they need to in the right positions that they play. Mm. Um, and he just needs to make sure that he he manages uh, their starts and, and the way that he wants to um, inject them into the game and whether or not one has a rest or the other doesn't or whether one's better just coming off the bench all the time. But the, the one-two punch is good. I, I like that at halfback and both play. Like Fakataba can... I've seen him um, mince around on the wing a bit, yeah. For Hawks Bay, yeah. When they've when they've lost some players, and and but you know he's just not utilised in the way that you need him to be utilised, but by being out there. But he's capable. But that's that, that that's desperation. So yeah, you're right. When you go back to you know then what do you do about Mitch Hunt? Well, you know Tony Brown um, speaks very highly of him, and he believes that he is. The right general for their for their ship, and that he is is the right guy for that jersey. Uh, he's he's had a couple of pretty average weeks. I thought he was much better the other night. Uh, I think I'm just wondering whether or not he's a victim of the way that the Highlanders are playing at the moment. It's probably not allowing him to play the type of rugby we know he's capable of, because they are still kicking a mountain of possession away. 
mm. in really strange areas areas of the field. I think it's probably a game where they maybe didn't want to get into any form of an arm wrestle. Um, they knew that they had the driving more and they just wanted to play uh, in the right areas of the field, which meant that they were kicking the ball away even on halfway. Um, I just don't have, think they got their balance right. Um, Aaron Smith's doing a hell of a lot of kicking. It's not allowing Mitch Hunt to get into the game and maybe run the, the cutter like he should. So there's a few dynamics at play there, um, but I certainly thought that he bounced back quite nicely, um, Mitch Hunt, because... You know, he copped a little bit coming out of the Crusaders, Crusaders game for a couple of um, decisions and also misses that he had. And, and that can knock a player a bit, but he got the backing of his coach. Uh, he, he, he looked a lot more decisive at the weekend. And I think he's just a bit of a victim also of the way they're playing at the moment. And, and that's probably not helping him because he's a player that's used to playing in an environment of uh, you know the, of the Marco and the Crusaders in the past, um, where he's very assured of his role. Now we should also mention Moana Pacifica because they were in this game for long periods of time. In fact, it was probably only until the last what fifteen minutes that the the, the um, Highlanders comfortably pulled away. Um, they have you know it's the same names again for me. A, a lot of them. I mean, there was no Henry Stowers this time, which um, I'm not sure where he's at, but. They have then have to back up on Tuesday against the Canes, uh, a Canes team who A will be hurting from this weekend, and B will be hurting from being the only team to lose to Moana Pacifica this season. So uh, it's definitely going to be something on Tuesday night. Oh, there will be. It's it's a it's a potential banana skin game for, for the Hurricanes because that, that that you know physically that was one hell of a battle against the Crusaders. Um, Moana Pacifica are a, a combative side. They'll be wanting to make another statement. They had success in the areas that they, they attacked the Hurricanes last time out. Jason Holland will be very well aware that in the last time round that they left many, many opportunities and points out uh, out on the field that they should have capitalised on in the opening 20 minutes when they were all over that side. And we've seen all season that they are capable of breaking out and producing some <laughs> form of spectacular individual um you know, razzle-dazzle from anywhere. So I think he'll be very well aware that if he gets his processes right, you know, get, gets the points when they're on offer, which they didn't do last time, just you've got to keep them at arm's length. If you if you get let them get any closer than that, that they're a side that could just, they could nip you in the butt, and they did that. And I think um, whilst they'll be hurting and sore, I expect a bit of a response because they, they would have been a pretty pretty annoyed about losing that game that they, they probably were very dominant in and should have won at Mount Smart. Well, and the fact that they lost TJ close to kick-off, they lost Amour as well. Um, there's some players there, obviously, yeah. that probably won't be available, but the backups who might have got the start against Moana had to start yeah. against the Crusaders, so now you're looking further into your depth as well. Yeah, look, I think he, I think his depth is looking all right because I think he'll be able to go to, obviously, TJ... Uh, just had a bit of a we heard that he just had a bit of a sore back so he might come through that which means that you know that's you've got his experience there uh, you know he, he had to love the way Ruben Love injected himself in the game you think he might get a go in the 10 jersey Balin Sullivan came off the bench so he's got some, some options there and you know as Thomas mentioned earlier when we were chatting to him a lot of people thought Devin Flanders probably should have started mm. um, I think he'll get an opportunity to get out there and, and throw his weight around uh, and and uh, Braden Yossi as well. It will probably give Artie a break because he's going to need it. I'd like if Artie turns out for that game, 
I will go he. And a big he with capitals. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, I would imagine Ian Foster would as well. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, he might be saying something else. It starts with, well, we won't even say that. Um, but, you know, Asafu Almore, another one. We don't know what the extent of his problem was, but, you know, I think he'll he's in quite a good position to put some fresh players out there because he's going to need them. Yeah. He is going to need them. That's uh, um, for sure. We, if you remember, if we do have some double passes for that game, if you want to go Tuesday night at five past seven at the Cakedown, the Hurricanes against Moana Pacifica, then text us on the Temper Bedpost text machine double eight double three your name and your email address, and I'll email you a double pass. Up next, uh, we have uh, we have a night of the realm with us, Sir JK, talking uh, the Donut Boys from Hamilton uh, up against the Blues from last night. Yeah, this is SENZ, the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run, Ricardo Ball and Justin Marshall with you through until 3 o'clock today at Bunnings Trade. We're here to make your job easier because helping a business is our trade. And uh, Justin, earlier when we had Morgan on, you were talking about your tipping form being a pretty average, but I had a look uh, at, at the at the log and you're doing all right, mate. You're doing all right. I think you're, you're top 15, top 15 in our comp. I was being modest. <laughs> <laughs> Why no, start I'm, now, uh, mate? Yeah, I'm getting the old one wrong. I, I, I'll give you the uh, I'll give you the tip. Excuse mm. the pun. Mm. I didn't pick uh, that result in Hamilton. That's for sure. Uh, but I did. Um, I did in another comp, but not our one. Uh, pick the Rebels, but I'm regretting not doing that in mm. the in the Sens comp. But anyway. Uh, yeah, look, I, I think the New Zealand derby games are just so tightly contested, you know. You have to be pretty on to it to make sure that you do your research uh, to be able to, to, to make an educa- a good, reasonably educated guess. But, yeah, she's a tough, tough old... Um, weekly sort of process to go through causes Mate. me a lot of a lot of stress, Ricardo. <laughs> a lot of stress, a lot of headaches. Uh, it is <laughs> seventeen past two here on the uh, Buddings Trade Rugby Run. Joining us now, Sir John Kerwin to talk uh, the Blues giving uh, the Chiefs the big donut last night in Hamilton. Uh, g'day, JK. How are you doing? Oh, how do you think I'm doing? The best Sunday. <laughs> I've had in a hundred million years. Are you guys kidding you? <laughs> we donated. We donated the Chiefs in in, uh, in, in the Tron. Like it doesn't get better than this, people. It doesn't, mate. Better than and we and we decided just to make it a little bit harder on ourselves to play for thirty minutes and with fourteen. Yeah, well, for a while there with thirteen. I did like Roger Randall's halftime comment when he said we knew it was going to have state of origin intensity. We just didn't realise they were going to play with thirteen. <laughs> Good call, good call. It was a great call, mate. I mean, that is, I mean, all all joking aside, it was a fantastic win. The defence of the Blues was absolutely amazing, but that is going to be a work on, you would imagine, at training this week from Leon McDonald. We can't be uh, letting teams back in with our discipline like that. Uh, I don't know if you'd be too worried about it, to be fair. I think, you know, as Marshy would know, the game's about momentum and... Um, you know, the three tries that the Chiefs didn't get, and I don't know if that was, I think it was just a little bit of bad luck. Mm. Um, so the, it never felt like the Chiefs, it was their night. But if they score those tries, momentum changes, the Blues goes, go under, you know, under a bit of pressure. You know, I thought, I thought the, you know, the, the red card, um, 
the, the yellow the yellow card on Romano was fair. I mean, that, you know, he's got a lot of experience. I w- wasn't expecting that from him. You don't buy him to do those types of things on the goal line. Um, but Knox one, I thought was, you know, that was really cynical. So that that one was sort of relatively okay. But I just think that the Chiefs had didn't have a good night. You know, you you score those tries, Marshy, and life changes, right? Yeah, you do. And and you know, when you look at though the good sides, J.K. like the Crusaders, who, who let's be perfectly honest, are not at their best at the moment, but they find a way to hold on against opposition who are coming at them strong. I thought the Blues really showed that type of maturity, which I've not seen for a while out of the Blues side because those situations are ones that they tend to lose in the past when, when the going gets tough, but they had some resilience about them last night. Yeah, and that that's what I was so proud of. I mean, mm. Leon McDonald's, you know, he's managed to do what, um, you know, no coach has been able to do in the last sort of 20 years. That includes me, you know, and that's guys... <laughs> staying on their line, getting off their line, making tackles, um, being really tough over the ball. Like, on their own line, they seem to be way more confident. You know, sometimes when you're on the own line and you don't completely trust your defensive line, you get a bit tentative. But, man, they were coming off the line at the Chiefs and bashing them, which means you've got confidence um, in the system. You've got confidence in the guys around you. And I think the other positive thing for me, this is a really young rugby team. You know, you've mm. got Hoskins Satutu, you've got Dalton Popoiliti, who's, you know, probably one of the youngest captains we've ever had. I mean, besides Luke Romano, who's 256, you know, all <laughs> the rest of them are, are, like, are, like, incredibly young, which is, which is good. And I think, you know, Romano would also bring a bit of calmness. And then, to be fair, Marshy, you know, we, we, I know you're a Crusaders man, but, you know... Um, that battle for first five in the all-black jersey continues because I thought after having a few weeks off, Bowden was exceptional last night. You know, just he did some exceptional things talent-wise, but right through the yellow cards, you know, I was watching him, and he's just really calm, you know, running the football team, kicking the ball down there, you know. So that we've got an X-factor 10, which, which gives the team confidence as well. Yeah, he, uh, that was a commanding performance from Bowden Barrett. Really impressive. Uh, what, what about... The Blues on attack, it was quite noticeable that their tempo went up. Now, I don't know why that happened. Maybe it was the occasion. You know, it was the Chiefs who probably had the better of them at Eden Park uh, in a game that they they won, but probably, you know, when they looked at it and reviewed it, didn't deserve to win, but they did. Um, They haven't played the Crusaders yet. And I just, whether, whether or not they were building towards it, but just the way the loose the, the loose boards carried. I was impressed that Knock actually cleared the ball with some speed. Bowden's instinct to have to, to really punch onto the ball, to Leo having a dig, Peter Feta chiming in from out back, Rico having a go. Like the, the tempo across the board was really significantly higher than I've seen it in a long time. I think we saw it in round one. Um, and if I remember rightly, they played incredibly yes. well and lost to the hurricane. Mm. But I think it might be Joe Smith, Marshy, to be fair. Because what mm-hmm. I've been trying to notice is why is the ball so quick? And their placement is incredibly long. Sometimes mm-hmm. what you're seeing is the ball out the back of the ruck um, with the hands still on it, with two guys past the ball. So I think the only thing I can put it down to is Joe Smith trying to bring 
some real rhythm to this to the attack. And I think that first game they did it, but they lost, and then they got a bit gun shy. And we've seen it in patches, right? We've seen it in patches. But last night, I think their attack was, you know, I mean the 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 Chiefs. I looked at the watch. I was up in up in the commentary, and I said to Beaver, mate, have the Chiefs touched the ball? And that was like after 17 minutes. Yeah. But you know what it's like when the ball's that fast. You can't even get your defensive line set. So it feels like you, you know, it feels like you're in a pool and trying to hold your breath. You're just trying to trying to get to up and get some air. But yeah, I, I do think that could be Joe Smith's influence, and he wants to speed the game up, speed the game up to get some of the X factor players like Rico, um, you know, some one on one. Because if you slow the ball down, those defensive lines are just too hard. Well, he's got, I guess, some. Cattle as well, because I'm, I'm not sure how far away two of us are shakers at the moment. But Bryce Heem is fulfilling that slot quite nicely. Peter Fetter looks like he's he's a fullback that, when Bowden Barrett is the general at 10, operates perfectly for the team pattern because he steps in as a first receiver. He takes a bit of pressure off with his goal kicking off Bowden. Do you think Bowden played a better game because he didn't have... I know this is a bit speculative... He didn't have the responsibility to kick in the goals. He just went out and played like he does in the like he had used to do with his brothers in the backyard. I don't, I don't know if goals kicking sits on his shoulders that comfortably. But I might be wrong. Well, I think he's just saying, you know, at at the Blues, give it to this young fella. Um, I'm coming back from injury, and I don't want that added responsibility. But then also, that's a pretty clear message that he wants his uh, he wants his little bright fullback in the All Black jersey, don't you think? He can kick a goal from 300 miles. So, you know, if, if, a, if a guy does play better without that responsibility um, and it can free him up to be way more creative, I mean, there's a lot there's a lot going on now on a rugby field, you know. So um, I, I, I remember you saying the other day, why are we playing um, Geordie at 12? And, and I think that's a really yep. decent argument. I want to see him at fullback all year because I think he needs to be our fullback going forward for a couple of reasons. I think when you go to the Northern Hemisphere, you know, he's about six foot five, isn't he? Yeah. So the high ball's not a problem for him. He's got a really good goal kick from 55 metres. So, you know, I think I think a first five, um, if he doesn't have to kick, so be it. If it frees him up, I think it's a good idea. But we do need to see Geordie, um, you know, because the only, the only thing that Bowden will be saying, well, you know, if if you're going to compare me to Richie Moonga and he is actually um, he's actually kicking, is that going to come into the selection discussion, Marshy? Mm. You know, it's like, oh, do, yeah. you know, oh, we want to play Will Jordan at fullback. He doesn't kick. Oh, okay, well then we'll play we'll play Moonga and Will Jordan instead of Barrett and Barrett. Mm. <laughs> so True. you know, you, I, I think you need those need to have those open discussions that it's not going to hinder his selection. But I do also believe that if they do want him to kick, then he does need to kick for the Blues because I just think it's a rhythm thing. It's a pressure thing, you know? Um, well, I won't have a good rest of the Sunday if we if I stay on the Blues train, JK. So um, <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll move on a little bit because I can see you're in such a good mood. Uh, I know you are on the Tools for Sky last night. Did you, did you happen to catch much of the Crusaders game? And if you did, what did you think of it? And secondly... 
did you see the finish and what did you make of the uh, the contest in the air between Artie and Scott Barrett? Well, I I think there it was common sense. So I I thought that the defending player could not attack the opposition player in the air. So once you realise that he's caught it, you've got to let him go. Right? That's what I thought the rule was. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um because the touch judge, apparently, I've found out since, the touch judge has gone, actually, um, there was no infringement. But my problem, my problem with that is that they go to deck and someone, they, someone should be rolling away. So yeah. my, my real question is this. What does it hurt in such a tight game to go upstairs? I mean, we go upstairs if someone trips over nowadays. You know? So, <laughs> with such a big, with such a big moment in such a big game, why don't, why don't you just go upstairs? You keep Artie happy, you know. You keep the Hurricanes happy. They've got nothing to moan about, and it takes a few more minutes and keeps everyone holding their breath. That's what I couldn't understand, you know. Just go and have a look. Who cares? The game's over, and then we all go, oh, okay. So the ref was right. But looking at it, I thought they were hard done by because. You know, everyone around me saying, "Oh, they should have, t- you know, they should have gone for the draw and gone for, you know, golden point." But I think, good on you, having a crack. Trust yourself. But you know, if you can't trust the ref to get the decision right, that makes our game very different. You know. Yeah, it does. You're right. You're right, JK. Hey, uh, we've had a couple of texts come through here on double eight double three uh, on things we've been talking about as well. This one from Dave uh, talking about Schmidt's influence on the tempo and the defence. But he also said, what do you think about having Barrett's at 10 and 12 uh, and Will Jordan at 15? Um, yeah, look, I think, well, this is what I think. I think that we have a very special um, player in Roger Tuavasa Sheik. So I think that, um, you know, what we're talking about is a guy who I think is going to bring some expectation. Now, you know, we know he hasn't played. We know he hasn't been there. But what I like to see, it, I like to see from 12 to 13, um, two different types of players. So let's say Ma'a Nonu, Conrad Smith. Mm. You know, you've got Ma'a who would smash you over the advantage line when you need it. Um, then you had Conrad who would be silky. You know, just recently we've probably had... You know, Goodhue and Anton Letter-Brown. Goodhue, I believe, they're thinking at 12, although he can play 13, you know. We, we spoke last year about Manu or Mapi and why they let him go. Um, I, don't, I, don't see, I don't see Geordie Barrett giving us anything X-factor at 12 compared to what he can do at fullback. So I'd rather have, you know, someone like Roger Tuovasa-Shek or, or, you know, one of the other players that's in that contention. I like Rico at 13, and it'll be interesting to see whether Marshy thinks he's getting better with his defensive reads. Um, although he probably, probably hasn't been on his best form as of yet, but I just think it'd be a little bit of a waste of Geordie's out-and-out skill. Um, you know, in the air, long-range goal-kicking. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I, I don't like that as a combination. I think it'd work, but then the last thing I will say before I throw to you, Marshy, is I always say this every week, 18 tests to go, 18 tests to go. You know, like, <laughs> we can't, we've, got to, we've got to stop messing around with our starting 15. We've got to get to the World Cup, you know, and Marshy, you'll know what it's like. You know, sometimes you wouldn't even have to look where your 10 was, you know, where, where mm. Mertz or, or, or DC was because you'd played together so much. You could go with his voice. You need to play together. 
And so that's my concern. I think we've got to settle on a team, and I don't see Bodie being there at 12. Uh, sorry, I don't see Geordie being there at 12. Uh, Marshy, one of the things that Marshy had just dropped off, sorry, JK, but I don't know if you'd, you'd heard, Marshy, but uh, JK was keen to get your take on Rico Iwani at 13 and how his play is developing there, uh, particularly his defensive reads. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm certainly very well aware of his potential on attack and I think it was really good last night to see him a couple of times make an outside break. You know, like I've tended to watch him gravitate in uh, and, and run from outside to in. But if we're going to utilise his skill set, it's that he's got a standard defender up and then have a go at him on the outside, which turns the winger in. And then that frees the space for his fullback and his and, and his wing. And I think started to see semblance of that last night. And I think that had a lot to do with the, the speed of ball that the Blues were getting. And I think when the ball's static, it's, it's harder for him to utilise his skill set that he's got in terms of his blistering pace. And that's where he that's where we don't have a tank in the midfield because he's not a guy that likes really smashing into contact. So that's the head scratcher for the All Blacks. You know, if they don't get quick ball, get slowed down by JK, um, you know, UK European defence systems that, that really do style for your ball, you know, is he best utilised at centre? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, we've got to, we've just got to settle, don't we? We've got to settle on a team and let them play themselves into it with only 18 tests to go, which is what I was saying before. You know, I want to see some combinations and these combinations learning to grow and, and really rely on each other. I'm worried about Anton Leonard Brown. I don't know if it was, um, you know, I really like Anton. I think he's an outstanding player, um, but I don't know if it was the same shoulder that he did. So will he be out for the season? Um, so I reckon midfield, we need to see Roger out there soon and we need to probably take some risks with him um, yeah. you know, during the championship in November and just play him. I think we've seen enough to go, well, OK, he's going to bring us something different. And it's it's really what you want. I mean, you know, David, if you're listening, it's really what you want from your 12. So, you know, when I played, we had our our big guy at centre with Joe Stanley. We had our, our guys yeah. in the midfield that are a little bit silkier. You know, those trends seem to have changed. But getting back to your question, I'd rather see Geordie at fullback than I would at 12 for sure. I think we can um, I think we can do something different in the midfield. So if, if Roger, two of us, a Sheck, can come, um, sort his defensive reads out and keep that footwork getting over the advantage line, then I think that might be a nice combination. And then at centre, if you want to be a little bit more regimented, you can play good you, you know, and if you want to have a bit more flair, you can play... Um, Rico, I'd go with the flair. You know, that's a. There's, how often have we said we've actually got a centre with out and out pace? And then, you know, the wings are another discussion. Where do you put Will Jordan, Marshy? That's a big one. That's a massive one. And and I think we're starting to create some good headaches. Uh, mate, um, really appreciate you once again joining us on a Sunday. Um, I like you using the word flair, JK, because if anyone sees you stroll into well, strolling anywhere, to be perfectly honest, with the way that you dress, there is absolutely flair in everything that you do. So <laughs> if the All Blacks can adopt some of that and put it in, onto the rugby field, mate, we're in a good place. We're in a good place, mate. I mean, I never worried about tackling, Marsha. That was overrated in my day. I invented the drift defence and I drifted onto the touch judge one day. So you know, as long as... <laughs> 
All right, boys, have a great Sunday. Yeah, you too. Thanks very much. John Kerwin with us. That drift defence into the into the into the front row of the stands. Grab a chip some chips and a beer. Marty, that sounds like the go, doesn't it? Yeah, it certainly does. Yeah, no, there was a there was a few of us that uh, used to do that when certain players were in your way. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah, I can imagine, mate. I can imagine. Hey, just on that, you know, um, you know, JK talking there about Rico at centre. He seems very you know, very on Rico at centre. Yeah. I just think with all the midfield options we've got, you know, Fanganuku, Havili, Enor, Good Hugh out of the Crusaders, Thomas Umunga Jensen out of the Highlanders, um, potentially Geordie, uh, then you've got RTS, you've got Anton Leonard Brown, you've got Quintu Pyre, you've got Alex Nankerville, who I think has been one of the best midfielders in the competition this season. Agreed. Do you need Rico at centre? Because I can't think of a better left winger in the country. Yeah, it's a great point you make. And, and it's a real melon scratcher, to be perfectly honest, for the selectors when it comes time. It, it's a congested midfield because there's, there's talented players there. And, and the problem that I've got, which I totally agree with what JK's saying, he, what what you want, any good centre pairings in the world have got synergy. They've played a lot together. They know each other's idiosyncrasies. They know their movements. Chopping and changing players regularly in, in, in 12 and 13 in particular has an effect on everyone. It has an effect on the way the fullback reads his centre, where he's going to find his space. It has an effect on the wingers, whether the guys, are, you know, the centre's a good distributor or the 12's a better distributor, whatever it might be. But when they all start to play together regularly, that's when, that's when you develop the, the combinations that make everybody else around that that particular part of the field operate more effectively. And I think that's the stage that they've got to get to. Now, does that mean they go through a teething process of giving two to three to four players an opportunity in either jersey? God, I'm not sure. But I think they've got to have a clear. This is a challenge for the selectors selectors and coaches, which I think there's – well, how many of them is there now? (laughs) They've added added more. There's about eight of them. (laughs) That they've got, they've got to get to that first team that they're naming and be reasonably sure of the two players that they think are going to carry this team all the way to the Rugby World Cup as a combo. That's the challenge for the selectors, if you ask me. Yeah, that's that's finding that Nonu and Smith and just playing them, yep. and playing them, and playing them. Yep. Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, that 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 whore and that little, you know, the the, the great centre combinations of the world have led to great teams. Uh, in their time, and and you know, and including the All Blacks, yeah. so you know, I think that that's a challenge for them because we've just named, God, how many seven or eight players that are playing pretty good rugby, and they've got to find two good ones out of that that they can think that they they can pair together to take us through, barring injury, to win a World Cup in France as a combo. Yeah, and that's going to be uh, that's going to be key, particularly with uh, all the injury, uh, you know, the potential of injuries as well. We have yeah. had a few texts through on double eight, double three. Um, Dave has said Rico is too greedy to be a centre, but he likes Geordie and Bodie as a as a ten twelve combo because they're natural and they have X factor. Um, he also reckons that RTS isn't going to be ready for the Rugby World Cup and that he's too small. Yeah, well, look, I, I think. Um, the power that RTS has. He is not probably as bulky as some of the other centres we've spoken about, but what I was really impressed with the earlier games that I saw him play uh, was his his impact into, into contact. So his foot speed and, and the way that he entered into the contact 
he's so explosive, so powerful that he gets away with probably not carrying as much weight as others. So I don't think that'll be a disadvantage to him. And he'll know and get better once he gets more games under his belt of areas where he can punch rather than use his footwork. And when I mean punch, he's used that explosiveness into the contact zone um, and, and power his way through. Look, um, there's no doubt that, you know, Rico is is a work in progress at centre, but, you know, his, his ability to be able to grease players with his speed, you know, I tend to agree with you. Again, they've got a decision to make there. Mm. <laughs> You know, do they do they say, right, Rico Yuani, we're, we're picking him as a winger and he is going to be our starting winger on this side, blah, blah, blah. Or do they say we're going to pick him as a utility? Um, and on the other point, look, I, I agree with what, Will, with what JK was saying about Geordie Barrett, but man, he's impressed me at 12. Mm. He really has. And that, that gives them the option because like every time Will Jordan touched the ball like last night, I think just about everyone in the stadium held their breath. And to me, I think we mentioned in commentary, he looks like he is two to three seconds faster than anyone else out there. (laughs) So, you know, that opens the opportunity for them to pick a Rico on the wing because they don't have to fill the spot to get that guy on the field somewhere, which last year was the right wing. Yeah. No, that's fair call too. There's a, it's, man, there's a lot of names uh, up in the air, a lot of juggling to do for those mm. all-black selectors. Uh, this is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Ricardo Paul, Justin Marshall with you at Bunnings Trade. We're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. Keep the text coming through on the Temper Bedpost text machine, double eight double three, or call us 0800 150 811 if you've got a question for Marshy. This is the Bunnings Trade Rugby Run. Ricardo Paul, Justin Marshall with you, and uh, we've got a bunch of texts to get to in a moment, Marshy. But uh, Dave from Palmy is on the phone. Dave, you got a question for Marshy? Yeah, not so much a question. Uh, congratulations, Marshy. You got a lucky win against us last night. It's <laughs> uh, pretty close. And I think in your heart and hearts, you, you know you got a lucky one there. Um, look, with, in regards to you know the combinations, it's not like we've got time to get a, a Little and Bunce or a, a Mar and Conrad, etc., we haven't got that time. Like JK says, there's only 18 tests. I think with RTS, you know, like like with SBW, he he came across from league, had exceptional skills. RTS has got exceptional skills, but it takes a long time to learn rugby. And like when you you look at like the French backline, I know he's a small guy and he'll punch above his weight, tactically wise. He comes from league. But those European backlines, the French and, and the Irish, are huge. And, like, Geordie's a big man, you know, and if, if Bowden can't kick, Geordie can kick. They're a natural combination. They've been playing in the garden, you know, for 25 years. You know, you're not going to get a better combination like that. And, like, the centre, there's a, there's a heap of them. I, I, I do think Rico should be on the wing. You know, at least he's coming up to 27 or on the week picks back and he'll still be in the All Blacks. It's usually when you go. But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Will Jordan, he's the closest thing or maybe could even be better than Christian Cullen. Now, Christian Cullen used to come from the back, see the whole game, doesn't look like he's even running fast, heaps of time. And Will Jordan, a couple of weeks ago, he was, he was like a 15 and a number seven, the turnovers he was getting. He's got to be at 15. And so to fit everyone in, you've got to have it Rico on one wing and then... It just leaves your 13 and the other wings to sort out. And I think 
the litmus test will be up against Ireland. Luckily, we've got Joe Smith, which we have a bit of, you know, um, information to help us because I've watched a bit of the European rugby on the weekend. And, like, Ulster turned over to lose this morning away from home. And Connacht got really close to uh, Leinster. So they're all playing really, really well. So, you know, we've got three tests coming up. And then after that, we've only got 15 left. So we really need to get our act together and very, very fast. Um, so thanks for your call, Dave. Uh, 0800 150 811. I thought he had a question, but I think he just had a he, he he just had a bunch of statements that he wanted to put out there, and there's some thoughts, some interesting thoughts too. We'll get your thoughts on those, Justin. Also, this text I, I quite like the text hasn't put their name on it from double eight double three, but Rico at centre feels like a waste of the world's best left wing. Hopefully, RTS gets back on the field soon, as midfield is a major headache despite the options. I agree with JK; they need to settle on a midfield. Question, is Tom Christie shaping as a legitimate option at seven from a New Zealand, uh, for New Zealand player in that position? Look, he's playing outstanding rugby and it's just about what we want to end up at when we hit that Rugby World Cup because it's, I think it's very evident, you know, Dave was mentioning the big players that the European and British teams are having in the centres, well, equally they're having in the loose forwards. I was really looking forward to last night to seeing the starting combination that the Crusaders put out there, uh, which had um, Pablo Matera in it. Um, unfortunately, he pulled out late as well, so they went with Christie, um, who was outstanding. But that that was the semblance of what Europe are putting out there, in particular France. So you got uh, Ethan Blackadder at 111 kgs. Um, you had Matera and also Cullen Grace, both at 105. No genuine out-and-out seven. Mm. No real fetcher there. But the game's evolved. And, you know, the, that, that genuine seven open side fetcher is not so prevalent anymore. And, you know, the, because every player gets over the ball. You know, Dave just mentioned it there. Will Jordan got turnovers. Like Sibu Reese the week before. Um, to Leo you know, last night. getting in over the ball. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, hookers, you know, everybody is, a, a, is able to get in and turn the ball over at the right time if they get their technique right. So... No, look. In answer to that question, I, I don't. I don't feel that you know Tom Christie will come into the mix because I think we're starting to trend towards getting bigger, stronger, hard-carrying loose forwards that just work. Then you know work work there, um, have massive work rate, and it's, it also opens up your options at lineout as well. You know, um, so yeah. Look, there's, there's no doubt that there's still a place in the game for that type of player, but I think the All Blacks need to trend the other way. This is SENZ, the Bunnings trade rugby run, Ricardo Ball and Justin Marshall will wrap things after this. Justin had a couple more questions come through for you. Uh, one, uh, This one uh, from Mark in Sydney who's asked, where do you think the Waratahs will finish? Will they make the eight? Well, they're certainly capable of it. I think, as I said to Morgan Turanui, I think the next, well, the, the, the two rounds when we start the Trans-Tasman um, component of the competition are really important for the likes of the Waratahs, the Reds and the Brumbies. If they can get some victories under their belt while at home, while the New Zealand teams are away for a couple of weeks and put them under pressure, that's the time when they can get themselves into the eight. And the Irish are here, of course. Uh, Dave's texted through asking how you reckon we'll go against the Irish. You got a, uh, a I score I think it's going to be an outstanding test series. I really do. Yeah. Um, and they're going to bring a good side, hopefully. 
uh, and we've got some selection debate. Obviously, we've spoken about that this yeah. afternoon. Yeah. Um, they're going to be a real challenge. Really looking forward to that series. Yeah, it should be good, man. Hey, Marshy, good work. Uh, thanks again for being on the uh, Bunnings Trade Rugby Run, mate. We'll uh, catch up with you tomorrow night from 7 on In the Red, eh? Yeah, you certainly will. Looking forward to being on the Red. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.